Part First, Chapter Two, Section B, of the Ego and His Own, by Max Stirner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Matt Messerschmidt in Ann Arbor, Michigan, USA. The Moderns, Subdivision Two, The Possessed. Have you ever seen a spirit? No, not I, but my grandmother. Now, you see, it's just so with me, too. I myself haven't seen any, but my grandmother had them running between her feet all sorts of ways, and out of confidence in our grandmother's honesty, we believe in the existence of spirits. But had we no grandfathers, then, and did they not shrug their shoulders every time our grandmothers told about their ghosts? Yes, these were unbelieving men who have harmed our good religion much, those rationalists. We shall feel that. What else lies at the bottom of this warm faith in ghosts, if not the good faith in the existence of spiritual beings in general? And is not this latter itself disastrously unsettled if saucy men of the understanding may disturb the former? The Romanticists were quite conscious what a blow the very belief in God suffered by the laying aside of the belief in spirits or ghosts, and they tried to help us out of the baleful consequences, not only by their reawakened fairy world, but at last, and especially, by the intrusion of a higher world, by the somnambulists of Prevorst, etc. The good believers and fathers of the church did not suspect that with the belief in ghosts the foundation of religion was withdrawn, and that since then it had been floating in the air. He who no longer believes in any ghost need only to travel on consistently in his unbelief to see that there is no separate being at all concealed behind things. No ghost, or what is naively reckoned as synonymous even in our use of words, no spirit. Spirits exist. Look about in the world, and say for yourself whether a spirit does not gaze upon you out of everything. Out of the lovely little flower there speaks to you the spirit of the Creator, who has shaped it so wonderfully. The stars proclaim the spirit that established their order. From the mountain tops a spirit of sublimity breathes down. Out of the waters a spirit of yearning murmurs up. Not of men, Millions of spirits speak. The mountains may sink, the flowers fade, the world of stars fall in ruins, the men die. What matters the wreck of these visible bodies? The spirit, the invisible spirit, abides eternally. Yes, the whole world is haunted. Only is haunted? Nay, it itself walks. It is uncanny through and through. It is the wandering, seeming body of a spirit. It is a spook. What else should a ghost be, then, than an apparent body, but real spirit? Well, the world is empty, is not, is only glamorous semblance. Its truth is the spirit alone. It is the seeming body of a spirit. Look out near or far. A ghostly world surrounds you everywhere. You are always having apparitions or visions. 
Everything that appears to you is only the phantom of an indwelling spirit. It is a ghostly apparition. The world is to you only a world of appearances, behind which the spirit walks. You see spirits. Are you perchance thinking of comparing yourself with the ancients, who saw gods everywhere? Gods, my dear modern, are not spirits. Gods do not degrade the world to a semblance, and do not spiritualize it. But to you the whole world is spiritualized, and have become an enigmatical ghost. Therefore do not wonder if you likewise find in yourself nothing but a spook. Is not your body haunted by your spirit? And is not the latter alone the true and real, the former only the transitory, not, or a semblance? Are we not all ghosts, uncanny beings that wait for deliverance, to wit, spirits? Since the spirit appeared in the world, since the word became flesh, since then the world has been spiritualized, enchanted, a spook. You have spirit, for you have thoughts. What are your thoughts? Spiritual entities. Not things, then? No, but the spirit of things. The main point in all things. The inmost in them. Their idea. Consequently, what you think is not only your thought. On the contrary, it is that in the world which is most real. That which is properly to be called true. It is the truth itself. If only I think truly, I think the truth. I may, to be sure, err with regard to the truth, and fail to recognize it. But if I recognize truly, the object of my cognition is the truth. So, I suppose, you strive at all times to recognize the truth. To me the truth is sacred. It may well happen that I find a truth incomplete and replace it with a better, but the truth I cannot abrogate. I believe in the truth, therefore I search in it. Nothing transcends it. It is eternal. Sacred, eternal is the truth. It is the sacred, the eternal. But you, who let yourself be filled and led by this sacred thing, are yourself hallowed. Further, the sacred is not for your senses, and you never as a sensual man discover its trace, but for your faith, or more definitely still, for your spirit. For it itself, you know, is a spiritual thing, a spirit, is spirit for the spirit. The sacred is by no means so easily to be set aside as many at present affirm who no longer take this unsuitable word into their mouths. If even in a single respect I am still upbraided as an egoist, there is left the thought of something else which I should serve more than myself, and which must be to me more important than everything. In short, somewhat in which I should have to seek my true welfare, something sacred. However human this sacred thing may look, though it be the human itself, that does not take away its sacredness, but at most changes it from an unearthly to an earthly sacred thing. 
from a divine one to a human. Sacred things exist only for the egoist who does not acknowledge himself, the involuntary egoist, for him who is always looking after his own and yet does not count himself as the highest being, who serves only himself and at the same time always thinks he is serving a higher being, who knows nothing higher than himself, and is yet infatuated about something higher. In short, for the egoist who would not like to be an egoist, and abases himself, combats his egoism, but at the same time abases himself only for the sake of being exalted, and therefore of gratifying his egoism. Because he would like to cease to be an egoist, he looks about in heaven and earth for higher beings to serve sacrifice himself too. But, however much he shakes and disciplines himself, in the end he does all for his own sake, and the disreputable egoism will not come off him. On this account, I call him the involuntary egoist. His toil and care to get away from himself is nothing but the misunderstood impulse to self-dissolution. If you are bound to your past hour, if you must babble today because you babbled yesterday, if you cannot transform yourself each instant, you feel yourself fettered to slavery and benumbed. Therefore, over each minute of your existence, a fresh minute of the future beckons to you, and developing yourself, you get away from yourself, that is, from the self that was at that moment. As you are at each instant, you are your own creature, and in this very creature, you do not wish to lose yourself, the Creator. You are yourself a higher being than you are, and surpass yourself. But that you are the one who is higher than you, that is, you are not only creature, but likewise your Creator. Just this, as an involuntary egoist, you fail to recognize, and therefore the higher essence is to you an alien essence. Every higher essence, such as truth, mankind, and so on, is an essence over us. Alienness is a criterion of the sacred. In everything sacred, there lies something uncanny, strange, such as we are not quite familiar and at home in. What is sacred to me is not my own. And if, for instance, the property of others was not sacred to me, I should look on it as mine, which I should take to myself when occasion offered. Or, on the other side, if I regard the face of the Chinese emperor as sacred, it remains strange to my eye, which I close at its appearance. Why is an incontrovertible mathematical truth, which might even be called eternal according to the common understanding of words, not sacred? Because it is not revealed, or not the revelation of a higher being. If by revealed we understand only the so-called religious truths, we go far astray, and entirely fail to recognize the breadth of the concept higher being. 
Atheists keep up their scoffing at the higher being, which was also honored under the name of the highest or etre supreme, and trample in the dust one proof of his existence after another, without noticing that they themselves, out of need for a higher being, only annihilate the old to make room for a new. Is man, perchance, not a higher essence than an individual man? And must not the truths, rights, and ideas which result from the concept of him be honored and counted sacred as revelations of this very concept? For, even though we should abrogate again many a truth that seemed to be made manifest by this concept, yet this would only evince a misunderstanding on our part, without in the least degree harming the sacred concept itself, or taking their sacredness from those truths that must rightly be looked upon as its revelations. Man reaches beyond every individual man, and yet, though he be his essence, is not in fact his essence, which rather would be as single as he the individual himself, but a general and higher, yes, for atheists, the highest essence. And as the divine revelations were not written down by God with his own hand, but made public through the Lord's instruments, so also the new highest essence does not write out its revelations itself, but lets them come to our knowledge through true men. Only the new essence betrays, in fact, a more spiritual style of conception than the old God, because the latter was still represented in a sort of embodiedness or form, while the undimmed spirituality of the new is retained, and no special material body is fancied for it. And withal, it does not lack corporeity, which even takes on a yet more seductive appearance, because it looks more natural and mundane, and consists in nothing less than an every bodily man. Yes, or outright in humanity, or all men. Thereby, the spectralness of the spirit in a seeming body has once again become really solid and popular. Sacred, then, is the highest essence and everything in which the highest essence reveals or will reveal itself. But hallowed are they who recognize this highest essence together with its own, together with its revelations. The sacred hollows in turn its reverer, who by his worship becomes himself a saint, as likewise what he does is saintly, a saintly walk, saintly thoughts, and saintly actions, imaginations, and aspirations. It is easily understood that the conflict over what is revered as the highest essence can be significant only so long as even the most embittered opponents concede to each other the main point that there is a highest essence to which worship or service is due. If one should smile compassionately at the whole struggle over a highest essence, as a Christian might at the war of words between a Shia and a Sunni, or between a Brahmin and a Buddhist, then the hypothesis of a highest essence would be null in his eyes, and the conflict on this basis an idle play. Whether then the one God or the three-in-one, whether the Lutheran God or the Atreus Supreme, or not God at all, but man 
may represent the highest essence. That makes no difference at all for him who denies the highest essence itself. For in his eyes, those servants of a highest essence are one and all pious people, the most raging atheist, not less than the most faith-filled Christian. In the foremost place of the sacred, then, stands the highest essence and the faith in this essence, our holy faith. The Spook With ghosts we arrive in the spirit realm, in the realm of essences. What haunts the universe and has its occult, incomprehensible being there is precisely the mysterious spook that we call highest essence. And to get to the bottom of this spook, to comprehend it, to discover reality in it, to prove the existence of God, this task men set to themselves for thousands of years, with the horrible impossibility, the endless denied labor, of transforming the spook into a non-spook, the unreal into something real, the spirit into an entire and corporeal person. With this they tormented themselves to death. Behind the existing world they sought the thing in itself, the essence. Behind the thing, they sought the unthing. When one looks to the bottom of anything, searches out its essence, one often discovers something quite other than what it seems to be. Honeyed speech and a lying heart, pompous words and beggarly thoughts, and so on. By bringing the essence into prominence, one degrades the hitherto misapprehended appearance to a bare semblance, a deception. The essence of the world, so attractive and splendid, is for him who looks to the bottom of it, emptiness. Emptiness equals world's essence, world's doings. Now he who is religious does not occupy himself with the deceitful semblance, with the empty appearances, but looks upon the essence, and in the essence has the truth. The essences which are deduced from some appearances are the evil essences, and conversely from others, the good. The essence of human feeling, for instance, is love. The essence of human will is the good, that of one's thinking, the true, and so on. What at first passed for existence, such as the world and its like, appears now as bare semblance, and the truly existent is much rather the essence, whose realm is filled with gods, spirits, demons, with good or bad essences. Only this inverted world, the world of essences, truly exists now. The human heart may be loveless, but its essence exists, God, who is love. Human thought may wander in error, but its essence, truth, exists. God is truth, and the like. To know and acknowledge essences alone, and nothing but essences. That is religion. Its realm is a realm of essences, spooks, and ghosts. The longing to make the spook comprehensible, or to realize nonsense, has brought about a corporeal ghost, a ghost or spirit with a real body, 
an embodied ghost. How the strongest and most talented Christians have tortured themselves to get a conception of this ghostly apparition. But there always remained the contradiction of two natures, the divine and the human, the ghostly and sensual. There remained the most wondrous spook, a thing that was not a thing. Never yet was a ghost more soul-torturing, and no shaman who pricks himself to raving fury and nerve-lacerating cramps to conjure a ghost, can endure such soul torment as Christians suffered from that most incomprehensible ghost. But through Christ, the truth of the matter had at the same time come to light that the veritable spirit or ghost is man. The corporeal or embodied spirit is just man, he himself is the ghostly being, and at the same time, the being's appearance and existence. Henceforth, man no longer, in typical cases, shudders at ghosts outside himself, but at himself. He is terrified at himself. In the depth of his breast dwells the spirit of sin. Even the faintest thought, and this is itself a spirit, you know, may be a devil, etc., the ghost has put on a body. God has become man. But now man is himself the gruesome spook which he seeks to get back of, to exorcise, to fathom, to bring to reality and to speech. Man is spirit. What matter if the body wither, if only the spirit is saved? Everything rests on the spirit, and the spirit's or soul's welfare becomes the exclusive goal. Man has become to himself a ghost, an uncanny spook, to which there is even assigned a distinct seat in the body, dispute over the seat of the soul, whether in the head, etc. You are not to me, and I am not to you, a higher essence. Nevertheless, a higher essence may be hidden in each of us, and call forth a mutual reverence. To take at once the most general, man lives in you and in me. If I did not see man in you, what occasion should I have to respect you? To be sure, you are not man in his true and adequate form, but only a mortal veil of his, from which he can withdraw without himself ceasing. But yet for the present this general and higher essence is housed in you, and you present before me because an imperishable spirit has in you assumed a perishable body, so that really your form is only an assumed one, a spirit that appears, appears in you, without being bound to your body and to this particular mode of appearance, therefore a spook. Hence I do not regard you as a higher essence, but only respect that higher essence which walks in you. I respect man in you. The ancients did not observe anything of this sort in their slaves, and the higher essence man found as yet little response. To make up for this, they saw in each other ghosts of another sort. The people is a higher essence than an individual, and like man or the spirit of man, a spirit haunting the individual, the spirit of the people. For this reason they revered the spirit, and only so far as he served this or else a spirit related to it, as in the spirit of the family, 
could the individual appear significant only for the sake of the higher essence, the people, was consideration allowed to the member of the people. As you are hollowed to us by man who haunts you, so at every time men have been hollowed by some higher essence or other, like people, family, and such. Only for the sake of a higher essence has anyone been honored from of old. Only as a ghost has he been regarded in the light of a hollowed, a protected and recognized person. If I cherish you because I hold you dear, because in you my heart finds nourishment, my need satisfaction, then it is not done for the sake of a higher essence whose hallowed body you are, not on account of my beholding in you a ghost, an appearing spirit, but from egoistic pleasure. You yourself with your essence are valuable to me, for your essence is not a higher one, is not a higher and more general than you, is unique like yourself, because it is you. But it is not only man that haunts, so does everything. The higher essence, the spirit, that walks in everything, is at the same time bound to nothing, and only appears in it. Ghosts in every corner. Here would be the place to pass the haunting spirits in review, if they were not to come before us again further on in order to vanish before egoism. Hence, let only a few of them be particularized by way of example, in order to bring us at once to our attitude toward them. Sacred above all is the Holy Spirit. Sacred the truth. Sacred our right, law, a good cause, majesty, marriage, the common good, order, fatherland, and so on. Wheels in the Head Man, your head is haunted. You have wheels in your head. You imagine great things and depict to yourself a whole world of gods that has an existence for you, a spirit realm to which you suppose yourself to be called, an ideal that beckons to you. You have a fixed idea. Do not think that I am jesting speaking figuratively when I regard those persons who cling to the higher, and because the vast majority belongs under this head, almost the whole world of men, as veritable fools, fools in a madhouse. What is it, then, that is called a fixed idea, an idea that has subjected the man to itself? When you recognize, with regard to such a fixed idea, that it is a folly, you shut its slave up in an asylum. And is the truth of the faith, say, which we are not to doubt, the majesty of the people, which we are not to strike yet, he who does is guilty of lay's majesty, virtue, against which the censor is not to let a word pass, that morality may be kept pure, are these not fixed ideas? Is not the stupid chatter of most of our newspapers the babble of fools who suffer from the fixed idea of morality, legality, Christianity, and so forth, and only seem to go about free because the madhouse in which they walk takes in so broad a space? Touch the fixed idea of such a fool, 
and you will at once have to guard your back against the lunatic's stealthy malice. For these great lunatics are like the little so-called lunatics in this point too, that they assail by stealth him who touches their fixed idea. They first steal his weapon, steal free speech from him, and then they fall upon him with their nails. Every day now lays bare the cowardice and vindictiveness of these maniacs, and the stupid populace hurrahs for their crazy measures. One must read the journals of this period, and must hear the Philistines talk, to get the horrible conviction that one is shut up in a house with fools. Thou shalt not call thy brother a fool, if thou dost, etc. But I do not fear the curse, and I say, my brothers are arch-fools. Whether a poor fool of the insane asylum is possessed by the fancy that he is God the Father, Emperor of Japan, the Holy Spirit, or what not, or whether a citizen in comfortable circumstances conceives that it is his mission to be a good Christian, a faithful Protestant, a loyal citizen, a virtuous man, both these are one and the same fixed idea. He who has never tried and dared not to be a good Christian a faithful Protestant, a virtuous man, and the like, is possessed and prepossessed by faith, virtuousness, etc. Just as the schoolmen philosophized only inside the belief of the Church, as Pope Benedict XIV wrote fat books inside the papist superstition, without ever throwing a doubt upon this belief, as authors fill whole folios on the state without calling into question the fixed idea of the state itself, as our newspapers are crammed with politics because they are conjured into the fancy that man was created to be a zoon politicon. And so also subjects vegetate in subjection, virtuous people in virtue, liberals in humanity, without ever putting to these fixed ideas of theirs the searching knife of criticism. Undislodgeable, like a madman's delusion, those thoughts stand on a firm footing, and he who doubts them lays hands on the sacred. Yes, the fixed idea. That is the truly sacred. Is it perchance only people possessed by the devil that meet us, or do we as often come upon people possessed in the contrary way, possessed by the good, by virtue, morality, the law, or some principle or other. Possessions of the devil are not the only ones. God works on us, and the devil does. The former workings of grace, the latter workings of the devil. Possessed people are set in their opinions. If the word possession displeases you, then call it prepossession. Yes, since the spirit possesses you, and all inspirations come from it. Call it inspiration and enthusiasm. I add the complete enthusiasm, for we cannot stop with the sluggish, halfway kind, is called fanaticism. It is precisely among cultured people that fanaticism is at home, for man is cultured so far as he takes an interest in spiritual things. An interest in spiritual things, when it is alive, is and must be fanaticism. It is a fanatical interest in the sacred, fanum. Observe our liberals. Look into the Zaxchus and Fatislands better. 
Hear what Schlosser says. Holbach's company constituted a regular plot against the traditional doctrine and the existing system, and its members were as fanatical on behalf of their unbelief as monks and priests, Jesuits and pietists, Methodists, missionary and Bible societies, commonly are for mechanical worship and orthodoxy. Take notice how a moral man behaves, who today often thinks he is through with God and throws off Christianity as a bygone thing. If you ask him whether he has ever doubted that the copulation of brother and sister is incest, that monogamy is the truth of marriage, that filial piety is a sacred duty, then a moral shudder will come over him at the conception of one's being allowed to touch his sister as wife also. And whence this shudder? Because he believes in those moral commandments. This moral faith is deeply rooted in his breast. Much as he rages against the pious Christians, he himself has nevertheless as thoroughly remained a Christian, to wit, a moral Christian. In the form of morality, Christianity holds him a prisoner, and a prisoner under faith. Monogamy is to be something sacred, and he who may live in bigamy is punished as a criminal. He who commits incest suffers as a criminal. Those who are always crying that religion is not to be regarded in the state, and the Jew is to be a citizen equally with the Christian, show themselves in accord with this. Is not this of incest and monogamy a dogma of faith? Touch it, and you will learn by experience how this moral man is a hero of faith also. Not less than Krumacher, not less than Philip II. These fight for the faith of the church, he for the faith of the state, or the moral law of the state, for articles of faith. Both condemn him who act otherwise than their faith will allow. The brand of crime is stamped upon him, and he may languish in reformatories in jails. Moral faith is as fanatical as religious faith. They call that liberty of faith, then, when brother and sister, on account of a relation that they should have settled with their conscience, are thrown into prison. But they set a pernicious example. Yes, indeed. Others might have taken the notion that the state had no business to meddle with their relation, and thereupon purity of morals would go to ruin. So then, the religious heroes of faith are zealous for the sacred God, the moral ones for the sacred good. Those who are zealous for something sacred often look very little like each other. How the strictly orthodox or old-style believers differ from the fighters for truth, light, and justice, from the philothes, the friends of light, the rationalists, and others. And yet how utterly unessential is this difference. If one buffets single traditional truths, miracles, unlimited power of princes, then the rationalists buffet them too, and only the old-style believers wail. But if one buffets truth itself, he immediately has both as believers for opponents. And so with moralities, the strict believers are relentless, the clearer heads are more tolerant. But he who attacks morality itself gets both to deal with. 
truth, morality, justice, light, etc., are to be and remain sacred. What anyone finds to censure in Christianity is simply supposed to be unchristian, according to the view of the, these rationalists. But Christianity must remain a fixture. To buffet it is outrageous, an outrage. To be sure, the heretic against pure faith no longer exposes himself to the earlier fury of persecution. But so much the more does it now fall upon the heretic against pure morals. End of section.